Chapter Four of Stories of North Pole Adventure by Frank Mundell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two Famous Voyagers. From the outbreak of the French Revolution in seventeen eighty nine until the Battle of Waterloo in eighteen fifteen, during which Europe was little more than one wide battlefield there was no breathing time to continue the explorations round the pole the activity of the british navy during this period of unrest had created a large number of first-rate officers and well-trained seamen who when peace was declared were eager to take part in any expedition to satisfy their desire to win fame and fortune much money and many lives had already been spent in the various attempts to reach the pacific through the icy regions of the north and as we have already seen more than one attempt had been made to reach the pole itself splendid results had followed the various attempts and had again and again shown that british sailors would not give in but were ready to suffer and if need be to die rather than confess themselves beaten failure to reach the goal had only served to whet the curiosity of the nation and after all enough success had attended the brave explorers of the past to encourage those in the present to try again from the reports made by the navigators who had carefully examined the arctic regions every one believed that the passage was blocked by ice and not by land and that therefore there was every reason to suppose that somewhere an opening existed through which ships might pass even the pole itself was thought to be surrounded by an open sea if only the icy barrier which encircled it could be penetrated in eighteen seventeen the british government decided to send out four vessels two of them were to attempt to reach the pacific by proceeding in a northerly direction across the pole while the other two were to find a western route through baffin bay never before had so many experienced officers of the royal navy taken part in such an expedition the dorothea and the trent were commanded by captain buchan and lieutenant john franklin who afterwards became the greatest of arctic explorers both of these officers had seen much service and buchan had spent several years on the coast of newfoundland while franklin had been through the recent wars and had fought under nelson at trafalgar these then were the two men sent out by the admiralty to sail across the pole to the pacific in april of the following year the vessel sailed out of the thames and soon reached a high degree of latitude many of the crew had never before been in the arctic seas 
and they looked with curious eyes on the huge and often grotesque masses of ice which floated past them when they saw for the first time the sun at midnight the grandeur of the scene caused them to stand in groups on the deck long after they should have retired to rest severe weather came on accompanied by heavy snowstorms and the accumulation of ice on the rigging was so great that it had to be cut away with axes at length they reached the spot where phipps had been hemmed in here they found one vast unbroken plain of ice connected so closely with the shore as to leave no passage for a vessel they saw immense flocks of birds which passed over their heads in a living cloud of more than three miles in length completely darkening the air from daylight till dark could be heard the cries of auks divers cormorants gulls and other sea-birds while numberless seals and walruses were seen sporting in the water or basking on the shore all sounds of life ceased when the sun set and the silence of the night was only broken by the thundering boom of a bursting iceberg or the mighty crash of a falling rock the walruses were so fearless that they swam round about the boats and regarding them as intruders endeavoured to destroy them with their tusks several of these huge animals were killed and found to be fourteen feet in length one which received several shots before it was killed had nothing in its stomach but the garter of a greenland sailor while moored to the ice floe unable either to reach the land or the open sea the crews spent much of their time watching the strange animals who sported around them and were greatly interested in the cunning displayed by the bears in their attempts to capture a seal or a walrus at length an opening appeared in the ice and the crews had to leave their walrus hunting reindeer stalking and shooting wildfowl to attend to the working of the ships their progress however was very slow and a large number of the men were employed walking along the ice hauling the vessels as best they could the danger which they feared most for the ships was that they might be nipped in the ice this nipping is caused by the constant changes which the ice undergoes by the influence of wind and weather when the edges of the pack meet with a terrific crash which nothing made of wood can withstand in that case a ship is either cut in two or buried altogether unless it is sufficiently light to be forced up and allow the edges of the ice to meet beneath it unable to find a northern route along the shores of spitzbergen buchan and franklin endeavoured to reach greenland when they suddenly found themselves threatened by an enormous pack of ice shock after shock took place 
which made the timbers shiver finding it impossible to proceed they had to resort to the desperate expedient of charging the pack iron plates and walrus hides were hung round the bows of the vessels to lessen the effect of the contact the masts were also securely tied and the hatches were battened down nearer and nearer came the glittering masses which were being tossed hither and thither like corks on the bosom of the tempestuous ocean suddenly the vessels dashed amongst the churning breakers which were beating with thundering noise on the pack above the sound of the wind and waves was heard the cry steady hold on for your lives and every man laid hold of the part of the vessel nearest to him as it cut its way through the lighter ice and then met the pack with a shock that threw every man on the deck it is impossible to describe the successive dangers through which the vessels passed as they were helplessly tossed from pack to flow at the mercy of wind and wave and iceberg at length the open sea was reached but both ships were in such a battered condition that no time was lost in making for fairhaven in spitzbergen where they came to anchor it was then found that the dorothea was practically a wreck while the vessels were being repaired and refitted for the homeward voyage the northwest coast of spitzbergen was surveyed and enormous glaciers of great height and length were seen on more than one occasion the edge nearest the sea broke off with a noise resembling thunder and floated away to add one more to the countless icebergs of those dangerous seas in october the dorothea and the trent arrived safely in the thames thus says one of the officers terminated the third endeavour made under the auspices of the british government to reach the pole an attempt in which was accomplished everything that human skill zeal and perseverance under the circumstances could have effected and in which dangers difficulties and hardships were endured such as have rarely been met with in any preceding voyage while buchan and franklin were endeavouring to find a passage to the pole by sailing north the alexander and the isabella under captain ross and lieutenant parry were engaged in a similar expedition in search of a northwest passage to india ross and parry had both been employed in the navy from their earliest years and parry was familiar with the dangers and difficulties of navigation in arctic seas reaching the coast of greenland in may the explorers saw their first iceberg which was of an enormous size and which was regarded with great curiosity by most of the crew though as the commander remarks 
they ere long became only too familiar with these large masses off one of the islands the vessels anchored and an eskimo who had been on a visit to england and was now acting as interpreter proceeded on shore and shortly afterwards returned with a number of natives in their canoes captain ross and his officers soon became very friendly with the natives who gave him a sledge and dogs in return for a musket some of the women came on board and after partaking of coffee and biscuits in the cabin enjoyed a dance with the sailors on deck the master of ceremonies was the travelled eskimo who was at once seaman interpreter draughtsman fisher of seals and hunter of white bears a few days afterwards the vessels were found to be in the track of baffin which had not been followed for two hundred years but the fogs which surrounded them greatly hindered their progress and the vessels had to be assisted by the whole ship's company dragging at a rope and marching to music the performer leading the way at length they came to a large bay which ross named after lord melville the first lord of the admiralty it abounds with whales many of which were captured by the explorers this bay has been the scene of many terrible catastrophes whole whaling fleets have been nipped in the ice and crushed like walnuts in one instance nineteen vessels were destroyed occasioning a loss of over one hundred and fifty thousand pounds when this disaster befell the ships more than a thousand men were encamped on the ice on which they had erected tents and were engaged in dancing and frolic the day received the name of baffin's fair few lives have been lost in melville bay for when the vessels are destroyed it is not difficult to reach the danish settlements day after day was spent in slowly cutting a passage through the ice with great saws worked over a block suspended between poles on one occasion the pressure of the ice resulted in a trial of strength which for some time seemed to be in favour of the ice but when it appeared impossible for the ship longer to withstand the advancing ice she rose several feet and avoided the contact this was followed by a terrible collision between the two vessels which it was impossible to prevent as they were borne together by the ice anchors and cables were broken and one boat was smashed to pieces just when all hope was gone the two fields of ice began to recede or there is little doubt that both ships would have been destroyed not long afterwards the vessels were clear the eskimos now appeared in large numbers and drove backwards and forwards on the ice in their dog sledges 
but the explorers had some difficulty in opening up communications with them as they seemed afraid that their visitors meant mischief friendly signs and presents thrown to them at last succeeded in quieting their fears and when they found that the interpreter could speak their language they were very curious to know what kind of creatures the ships were and whether they came from the sun or the moon nor could they be persuaded that the vessels were not alive as they had seen them move after a time ross and parry ventured to land and approached the natives in a friendly manner for fear of frightening them on reaching the group they displayed a number of presents the article which created the most astonishment was a looking-glass in which for the first time they saw their own faces reflected they were then persuaded to go on board and to the amusement of the crews they persisted in regarding the ships as living creatures and saying who are you what are you where do you come from is it from the sun or the moon the interpreter then showed them every part of the vessel and assured them that it was nothing but a floating house it was clear from the manner in which they tried to lift the various objects they saw that they had no idea of the weight of iron leaving this place they saw large numbers of whales which approached the ships without showing any signs of alarm a native dance was here given by two eskimo girls which much resembled certain dances practised in india two days later such dense flocks of birds appeared that from fifteen to twenty fell at every shot and proved a welcome addition to their food supply having reached smith sound captain ross came to the conclusion that no passage northward could be found here he also observed the dip of the needle which was an evidence that they had approached very near the magnetic pole being as he supposed surrounded by mountains which in the following year were proved to be only a species of cloud he sailed westward and southward and again saw what he believed to be ridges of high mountains but which were nothing but deceptive appearances and to which he gave various names on the fourteenth of november the vessels reached grimsby in safety and though very little was added to the geographical knowledge which previous explorers had obtained he called attention to the productive fishing ground of melville bay which from that day to this has been frequented every summer by british whalers End of chapter four